We're going to uh, continue in our um, journey through Isaiah, and uh, we've got to chapter 40. So I'm going to uh, tonight just be looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 40. Probably words that uh, are are known to many of us, words that are um, ones that are quoted in different situations. I was, as I was um, thinking over the last few days, I was just thinking, what would these words have spoken to people a hundred years ago today? As the war came to a close, what would these words have said to them? Because in some ways they're quite fitting, would be quite appropriate. So I'm going to uh, read uh, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every mountain shall be raised up, every, sorry, every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on our high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries, those close, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word endures forever. And we pray, Lord, tonight that as we look at these words, as we read these words, that you would speak, speak them into our hearts, Lord. Pray that we might have ears open and hearts open to hear from you, to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
As we have uh, made our journey uh, through this, uh, this book, the book of the prophet Isaiah, um, one of the things that uh, we probably have heard is that uh, there are those who want to divide it. And often the place they want to divide it is right here, as it moves from chapter 39 to chapter 40. It's easy to see why, if you have been here the last uh, two or three weeks, even longer. Much of the first 39 chapters are difficult, and they deal with Isaiah calling God's people to repentance. We're told that they are a people of unclean lips, and if they don't turn from their ways, then they face judgment from a holy God. And chapter 39 ends with Isaiah's clear and unequivocal prophecy of destruction and exile for the people of Jerusalem. And then chapter 40 begins with a completely different tack. Not judgment, but comfort. And so people say, is this a different Isaiah? Writing perhaps at some different later time. I don't think so. As we have seen, as we have gone through these first 39 chapters, they are, yes, there are some difficult words of judgment and repentance, but amongst them, time and time again, we've heard words of encouragement. So it's not complete, a complete break. And now the crisis point has been reached, and Hezekiah shown his, has shown his faithlessness and his lack of trust. And for Isaiah, for God, that was the final straw. And Isaiah says, this is it. For the people of Jerusalem, it's destruction and exile. Now I've no doubt that that uh, message would not have made Isaiah very popular. Not the kind of things we like to hear. And we know that uh, um, Hezekiah's successor, Manasseh, saw him very much as the enemy. In fact, tradition has it that Manasseh had him sawn in two. So we know that from this, uh, this word of destruction and exile, Isaiah's ministry was, would have changed. He probably had no longer the access to, uh, uh, to those in charge. He may well have had to withdraw from public life to come away and would have taken the opportunity to pray, to reflect and to seek God's mind. Whatever might be happening, Isaiah had been clear all the way through that it's God who is in control, not the kings of Israel or Judah, not the kings of Assyria or of Egypt or Babylon or Edom or anybody else. God was in control. God's plans and purposes could not be thwarted. So if Isaiah is now prophesying a devastating end for Jerusalem, what of those words of encouragement? What of those words of hope? God doesn't change his mind. So what's the plan? Isaiah would have sought God for his plan. Sought God for a, a word for the future. What does the future hold for God's people in the midst of this prophecy of destruction and exile? Interestingly, in the earliest manuscripts we have for Isaiah, 
the first, chapters of cha- first verses of chapter 40 come immediately following the last verse of chapter 39. There's no break. They're on the same scroll. In all the ancient manuscripts we have of Isaiah, some of which go back BC, none of them have a break at this point or any other point come to that. They're all the whole book of Isaiah from 1 to 66. So for Isaiah, this is a continuation. Okay, God has has brought this word of destruction and exile, but that's not the end of the story. God has more to say. God has not changed his mind. Far from it. The exile, when it came, would not be the end of the story. The promises of God would become a reality. And so in the first few verses, these first 11 verses of of the chapter, we have four voices that speak out, bringing the word that God gives to Isaiah, the word that Isaiah believes God wants to say to his people where they're at now. And the first, as we hear, is literally words of comfort. It speaks of an everlasting comfort. What would they need to hear as captive slaves in Babylon was words of comfort. They would not need Isaiah to be still shaking his finger at them saying, I told you so. They needed to hear that God still cared for them and that there was hope, that there was a greater plan and a purpose. A plan and a purpose that took them beyond exile, beyond restoration, into the future. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Notice from the start those two phrases. My people, comfort my people, says your God. Those words would have spoken really very much to the people in exile who've just also heard the prophecy of Hosea. Remember the prophecy of Hosea when he has children? And the names of the children say, you are not my people and I am not your God. Isaiah saying that God's plan goes beyond that. Comfort my people, says your God. Yes, he has called them Call the people out because of their rebellion. They've lost their way spiritually and morally. And Isaiah has reminded them that God was the Holy One of Israel. Their sin and rebellion have consequences that separate us from God. But he says, your sin has been paid for. Sin and rebellion have those consequences that separate us from God and he cannot just forget about it. He cannot just say, comfort, comfort my people, it's alright, it's okay. Everything's going to be alright. Because sin has consequences. Sin, there has to be some price paid. Justice demands it. Holiness isn't negotiable and sin can't be ignored. But Isaiah tells us that in his love the holy God does not abandon his people but brings comfort by dealing with their sins. 
by dealing with the problem. Different aspects to this idea of comfort. It's interesting that the, uh, well, at least it's interesting to me, you probably uh, wouldn't interest you at all, but the, the Hebrew word that's translated here for comfort is also a word that can be translated repent. And it has its root in the idea of, of breathing deeply. The idea that you breathe deeply in sorrow for your sin or that you breathe deeply as you console and comfort someone. And it's that idea that God's comfort comes as a result of the people's repentance. Because they have breathed deeply in repentance, God has breathed deeply as he has consoled and comforted them. Their sins have been paid for and deliverance was here. But it was not what a result of what the people had done. This was the work of God. It was the undeserved, unmerited favour that God was coming to them, to deliver them, that they would receive from give, forgiveness at the Lord's hand. And as we can see, this, is, this comfort is personal, it's tender, freely given. Often, Isaiah is called the Gospel of the Old Testament. And you can see the Old Testament message of, of Jesus dying for our sins is right here, right at the heart. Secondly, the idea of comfort is not the sort of comfort that we might think of. We think perhaps of comfort when we are perhaps, uh, I don't know, sitting on a beach, drinking a cold drink, watching the, the waves or whatever, or, or perhaps more of this, uh, this time of year, sitting in a comfy chair, you know, with a, a hot chocolate reading a book by a fire or whatever. This is not the comfort this is talking about. Here the idea of comfort also comes from uh, the Latin words, comfortis. Literally translated means with strength. God's way of giving comfort is to give us the strength to do what needs to be done. As his strength comes, as his comfort comes to the people of Jerusalem, grief and sorrow Go. I have a new, a new ability to face and deal with whatever is coming. The people to whom Isaiah was speaking needed strength to cope with what was happening to them. They were going to need a lot of encouragement. The word encouragement now is much the same. It means to be encouraged. You are encouraged. You have the courage to do what needs to be done. God was comforting and encouraging the people so that they would be able to carry out his will. Sometimes God's comfort comes to us by forcing us, pushing us to change and grow. Someone says that the, the Spirit of God comes to comfort the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Someone once asked a paratrooper how many times he jumped out of a plane when he was in the army. And he said, none. And they said, well, what do you mean none? I thought you were a paratrooper. And he said, yes, I was, but I never jumped. I was pushed several times. <laughs> because that's what the army called encouragement. Sometimes the comfort that God gives is a push. To give us the strength to move on. Comfort, comfort my people. 
says your God. The second voice Isaiah heard is one calling and saying, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. God was coming to them and the call was there to prepare his way. In those days, of course, there were no no motorways or whatever, so history tells us that in the months before a king's entourage was set out on the journey, the call would go out before him. Prepare the way for the king, make straight away in the wilderness. And people would run before the king. They'd, they'd sort of remove any obstacles. They'd smooth over the rough places in the road. They would build roads and fill in small valleys, dig through hills so that the king's progress would be small, would be smooth and unhindered. And Isaiah says, you know this for your earthly king, but now your heavenly king is coming. God is on the way to his people. And he would come to them and deliver them from captivity, bringing them home on the highway that has been prepared for him. Picks up that picture we were thinking about a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about chapter 35 of the the ransomed and the redeemed people returning to Zion with joy and singing. The voice tells of God coming in glory from Jerusalem, bringing him back to himself. But it says before that happens, there's work to do to prepare the way of the Lord. And we know that these words, this prophecy was picked up when the time when John the Baptist arrived. His call was for, for people to prepare themselves for the coming of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah. And he spoke about people getting things ready, sorting out their lives. Repent and be baptised was his call. You see, for Isaiah... Speaking to his people who were in exile, this wasn't simply about people returning to Jerusalem. This was about a new, changed, forgiven, ransom, redeemed, restored people of God at the end of time. He was pointing beyond the restoration. Now we can hear, we can think of these people uh, hearing these words, particularly when they were in exile and slavery, hearing these words of comfort and restoration and thinking in the midst of their situation, thinking, how can we trust these promises? How can we know that they are true? Who is going to do this? Who's going to bring this comfort? How do we know that the king is coming? How can we rely on them? How can we be sure? And so Isaiah's third voice is this voice of assurance. In exile, the kingdom of Babylon would have looked formidable. No one could get through their walls or defeat their army. And the splendor of Babylon was breathtaking with its magnificent buildings and hanging gardens. And it would be difficult for people in that situation to imagine the possibility of Babylon being destroyed. So Isaiah brings words of assurance by contrasting the transience of humanity with the permanence of God's word. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. God was saying, look, no matter how powerful the Babylons appear, they were but grass. 
They had all the vulnerabilities of humankind. It was God who determined their time and their place. And when he blew upon them, they would be like, hot, like a hot desert wind blowing on desert flowers. Therefore they would wither and fall. But his word remains. And that's exactly what happened. The Babylonian kingdom fell. They thought they were so powerful. But they were actually, if you read in Daniel chapter 5, actually defeated without much of a fight at all. The voice that compares the transience of humanity with the word of God that stands forever. A young musician went to see his music teacher. During a visit, the mentor took a tuning fork and struck it on the end of the table and he said, that's an I. On the floor above them, there was somebody singing and he said, uh, she sings a bit sharp. And his student said, how do you know? And so the teacher, again with a smile, just struck the tuning fork. And he said, she is sharp. This is an eye. Always will be. Always has been. Will be 5,000 years from now. It's an eye. Some, the word of God stands forever. Not only did Isaiah speak of an everlasting comfort, Isaiah spoke of the everlasting word of God. When all other claims to truth have had their way, the word of God will stand alone in the end. Everything else changes. Human kingdoms rise but also fall. Philosophies and ideas come and go, but God's word remains the abiding everlasting truth that can be relied on in every generation, in every circumstance. And Isaiah tells the people, it remains constant. Tells us, it remains constant in a world of change and confusion. The word of God stands forever. So we have the voice of comfort, the voice of restoration, the voice of assurance. And finally, we have the voice of revelation. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him, his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Here is your God. God is not distant. God is here. The whole point is that God, God's, of, the whole point of God's plan and purpose is to reveal Himself to us. And He did most wonderfully, most uniquely, and most clearly in Jesus. Again, to whom Isaiah points. For the people in exile, their, their, their theological outlook, if you like, was based on the idea that God was in his temple in Jerusalem. And if they were in exile, it's because God had either been defeated, and even if he wasn't, he no longer loved them or cared for them. 
They were not just a long way home, a long way from home. They were a long way from God. So Isaiah says to them, "Here is your God, the God who reveals Himself. See the Sovereign Lord, who comes with power. See His reward is within Him. He comes to tend the flock, to gather the lambs." In his arms. God is not defeated. He does not abandon his people. He comes with the strength and power of the victorious sovereign Lord, bringing gifts to his people. And he comes with tenderness, the tenderness of a shepherd. Lovely, isn't those, those two pictures? The sovereign Lord of the strength of his arm and the tenderness of a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. It's a lovely picture, isn't it? A wonderful picture. A picture of the presence of God with us. Not a God who's out there somewhere. A God who's present amongst us. Hallelujah. Israel's call is to open our eyes to see what God has done, what God is doing, to welcome the presence of God into our lives and to proclaim it from the top of the mountain. Here is your God. Having prophesied the finality of defeat and exile for Jerusalem, Isaiah seeks God for a, for, for a fresh word, a new word. And here's the, vo- the voice of comfort, of restoration, of assurance, of revelation. And the wonderful thing is, it wasn't just to the people in exile. It wasn't just to people who were around 3,000 years ago. God's word is everlasting. Maybe there's something for us to hear tonight. Maybe we need to hear one of those voices. Maybe we need to hear that word of comfort. Maybe we need to hear afresh, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes we struggle with things. We can't quite believe that God would forgive us. Your sins are forgiven. They're paid for. God doesn't bring words of judgment. He brings tender words of comfort and forgiveness. Jesus has paid the price. You are forgiven. Maybe you need to hear that word about preparing There are things you need to sort out with God. Paths that need to be straightened. Rough ground that needs to be levelled. In preparation for what God has for you. Maybe you need to hear that word of assurance. There are times in life when we, we can see no way out. The obstacles seem insurmountable and unwavering in our minds. Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. God's promises do not change. Whatever we think, wherever we find ourselves, however forgotten or far away we feel, God's word doesn't change. God's promises do not change. And we hear the word of revelation. Here is your God. Through his spirit, Jesus is here. Right now, right here. Ready to gather his lambs in his arms so that he can carry us close to his heart. 
Isaiah brought us God's word. Cause us to look and see, to listen, to reach out. Here is your God. Amen. Let's just uh, pause for a moment.